Hello, residents. My name is Mike Estefan. I'm joined today by Maddie Watts, and thank you for downloading this month's episode of the EM Clerkship Podcast. This episode is sponsored by Pearson Rabbits Insurance, my personal independent disability insurance broker. We will talk more about Pearson Rabbits later in the episode. Maddie, how are you? Are you looking for some redemption from last month? <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I'm back in the department. So uh, hopefully that will help me with these diabolical cases everyone's sending in. Uh, well, so this this month's case is not a uh, listener submitted case, but this is some uh, some good bread and butter emergency medicine. So I'm looking forward to it. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, let's get into it. Today is round number nine of the game. Maddie will need to perform today's case in real ABEM oral boards format. She has 15 minutes to complete the full case. She does not know what this case is ahead of time. If Maddie hits all of the critical actions that I've listed out beforehand, she wins. If she doesn't, or if she performs a dangerous action, I win. These cases were created by me. They are not derived from actual ABEM cases, and they are not real patients. Maddie... Take out a piece of paper and a pencil. Place the paper sideways in front of you. Outline a human body on the left side of it. And let me know when you are ready. I'm ready to go. All right. And the timer started. You are working at Clerkship General when the charge nurse comes and grabs you. Hey, Doc, we need you in room two. This kid looks sick. All right. So I walk in the room. What do I see? You see an ill-appearing 19-year-old male laying on the bed with his eyes closed. And his father father is also in the room. Okay. Hi, I'm Dr. Watts. Can you hear me? Uh... Doc, he's, he's been like... He's been like this for a couple days now. I don't know what's going on. Okay. Tell me a little bit about what else you've noticed with him. Well, I'm his dad. Um, he's in college, and he he lives in the dorms. But when he gets sick, he he comes and he he stays with me. Um, so he's been sick for a couple days. He's uh, I've been taking care of him in his bedroom at home. He initially just wasn't feeling well. You know, he he was complaining of a headache. He had some fevers on and off, and he started to say his his neck hurt. And over the last twenty four hours, he has just not been the same it's almost like no one's home there doc you know what i mean yeah that must be concerning for you as a dad um any other symptoms that he's had like vomiting congestion nothing like that but doc he he developed this really crazy looking rash a couple hours ago i'm not sure what it is but i'm really worried got it um and is he up to date on all of his vaccines as far as I know, yeah. Okay. Do you know if he got the meningococcal series before college? Uh, I unfortunately do not know. I, I assume so, but I, I'm not sure. Okay. Well, based off what you're telling me, I am worried that he could potentially have meningitis. So I want to do a pretty quick exam here and then get moving on the treatment for him. Okay. Um, I go over to the patient. Oh, and can we get an opening set of vitals, please? <laughs> the nurse would love to give you a set of vitals. Um, blood pressure, 68 over 40. Heart rate, 
<laughs> heart rate 100 128 respiratory rate 22 o2 saturation 99 percent on room air and a temperature of 103.5 fahrenheit all right let's go ahead and hang a liter of lr for this patient do we have any access yet no access yet Okay, can my nurse start working on getting some access and preferably two points of peripheral access if we can get that um, and afterwards hang a liter of fluids? I'm going to do a quick exam. Okay, two, let's say large bore IVs were placed and one liter of fluid has been hung. Um, What are you looking for on your examination? So he moans to voice, I believe, from before. Does he open his eyes um, to voice? Not to voice, but to painful stimuli. Okay. And is he moving all four of his extremities? Yes. He will localize to pain. Okay. Does he appear to have symmetric strength in all of his extremities? Yes. Okay. What are his pupils size-wise, and are they equal and reactive? Uh, three millimeters equal round reactive. Okay. Um, any cranial nerve deficits that I appreciate? Um, examination's a little difficult because he is very, very confused, um, but grossly, as far as you can tell, no cranial nerve deficits, but he's, he's just intermittently following commands, so you can't get a great exam on him. Okay. Is he able to try to bend his neck, um, for me? Not at all. Okay. Due to pain or due to not following commands? Uh, we can say nuchal rigidity is present. Okay. And what does his rash look like? Uh, I can actually send you a photo of it. Uh, oh, wonderful. But, yeah. In the meantime, um, now that we have access, we've got a leader running in. I'm very concerned clinically for bacterial meningitis. So I want to do a lumbar puncture, but before then, I still want to go ahead and start antibiotics. So um, let's give two grams of ceftriaxone. Um, and, um, also would do, um, I would go ahead and start a cyclovir as well. And, um, I guess steroids too, if I'm worried about potential pneumococcal meningitis. So Decadron as well. Okay. So two grams for Cephan. Acyclovir. Um, I'm going to have our pharmacist dose that at 10 to 15 mg per kilo. And um, how much Decadron do you want? Um, we can do 10 milligrams. Okay. All those have been given. Did you get the photo of the rash? And for, for our listeners, it is raised, it is purple, it is non-blanchable, and it is widespread all over the torso and all four extremities. All right. So... In a normal case of just altered mental status and headache, I might do a CT before LP, but given that this guy's pretty unstable and I have the rash and nuchal rigidity, I think I'm just going to proceed with LP. Um, have we improved our vitals at all with the fluids? Um, we can get a repeat set of vitals. Blood pressure is... 72 over 40 heart rate is 110 respiratory rate is 22 okay temperature Um, is still 103.5 okay let's um give some 
if he can't take oral, which I assume he probably can't, let's give some rectal Tylenol. And then can we do another liter of fluids and repeat vitals after that? And if not, we probably need to go ahead and start pressors. Okay, so rectal tunnel has been given, a second liter of fluids have been given. Um, after the second liter of fluids, blood pressure 75 over 40, heart rate down to 103, temperature is now 100.0. Okay, I think we need to start pressors, so let's go ahead and um, start. We can start with norepinephrine at 7 uh, mics per minute, or yeah, mics per minute, and then... Um, See if we can get his pressure up because I don't really want to do an LP without getting his pressure up. Plus, I'm just going to treat empirically. Um, so let's start that and then see where our pressure is. Okay. Norepi has started. His blood pressure has completely normalized. Okay. Awesome. 100, 100 over 70. Okay. So ultimately, I think this guy needs to go to the ICU, but I do think it will be helpful to get the lumbar puncture before he goes. So um, I'm going to talk to dad about the procedure and um, have him consent for the patient since the patient is altered. Uh, yeah, doc, whatever you think needs to be done. Okay. Um, so I will, I explain the whole procedure to him and tell him that I am concerned for bacterial meningitis. We're going to go ahead and give antibiotics regardless, but I want to know for certain if that's the case. So, um, to prepare for the procedure, I would like to have a nurse or tech in the room with me. I want to have the patient on the monitor, um, specifically on um, telemetry with blood pressure cycling every three minutes and um, pulse ox or even better in tidal. And then since he's pretty altered, I would have him just lay in left lateral decubitus um, and maybe have our tech kind of help um, push his knees up to his chest. Um, I know he won't move his neck, so he won't really move his shoulders. Okay. Patient is positioned. Okay. So um, I'm going to prep with chloroprep um, and then drape. Um, over the drape, I'm going to feel patient's um, anterior superior iliac spine and between those two, reach down and find a um, intraspinous space, and that should be about L4. So um, if I feel that, I'm going to mark that with my nail, prep again, get all my tubes ready. Um, so then I will take um, some lidocaine in a 27 gauge, make a little wheel, and start going at an angle towards the umbilicus, um, trying to go along the track that I'm going to go along, and um, inject or aspirate and inject lidocaine kind of along my tract. Then I'll take an, um, I think I usually use like a 20 to 20 to 22 gauge spinal needle, um, go along that same tract aiming sort of, uh, cephalad and adjusting as I go. And do I get any fluid as I go? I'm going to take the stylet out after I'm through the skin. Uh, Yes, you receive the return of CSF. You received thick, purulent CSF. Okay, good. I mean, not good, but... Um, mm -hmm. So I collect four tubes of fluid, um, and then I will put my stylet back in, take my needle out, um, hold pressure for a little bit, um, and then I need to call the ICU. 
Uh, okay. Uh, I see you. Hey, so I've got a 19-year-old male. Um, I actually just realized I forgot to ask his other past medical history, but he is altered and intermittently following commands. Her dad was complaining of headache um, and neck pain and having high fevers at home. Um, I'm concerned he has meningitis given that here he was hypotensive and tachycardic and had purulent CSF. Um, he is currently on um, norepinephrine at uh, seven mics a minute after two liters of fluid did not improve his blood pressures. And um, I've got um, ceftriaxone, um, acyclovir, and... Um, given steroids, um, was thinking about also adding Vank um, to cover for potential MRSA, but I know that's unlikely. So, um, but I think he definitely needs to get up to you guys for further care. Yeah, uh, sounds like meningiococcemia. Um, good job, Doc. Uh, yeah, we'll take him. And you've got about three and a half minutes left. Is there anything else you would like to do? Um, let's get another repeat set of vitals just for good measure. Okay. Uh, repeat blood pressure 110 over 70, heart rate 90, respiratory rate 20, O2 set 99%, temperature 100.0. And dad, <laughs> I wanted to go ahead and get the treatment started, but I wanted to come back now and ask a further history. Does your son have any medical problems? Uh, no, he's... He's otherwise healthy. He has anxiety, but that's it. Okay. And has he ever had surgery or been hospitalized? No, not to my knowledge. Okay. Does he take any medications? He's on uh, sertraline for his anxiety, but nothing else. Okay. And does he have any allergies to medications? Uh, Ceftriaxone. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> not the, no, no. <laughs> no I was waiting for that. <laughs> No allergies to medications. Okay, sounds good. Well, um, based off of everything so far, I'm pretty certain that he has meningitis, so he will need to come into the ICU to keep receiving antibiotics and to have medication to support his blood pressure. As you can probably see, he's pretty sick, but we, um, you brought him here at the right time and we're doing all the treatments that he will need. So um, I talked to the ICU doctors and he's going to get brought up shortly. Okay, Doc, whatever you say. All right, I think I'm done. All righty, ending the case early. That ends your case with a full 140 left. Good job. Um, before we go through how you did, let's talk about our sponsor for the month, Pearson Rabbits Insurance. So if you are a regular listener, you probably know a lot about Pearson Rabbits by now. But if not, let me fill you in briefly. Pearson Rabbits is an insurance broker that focuses on helping physicians obtain own occupation disability insurance. Stephanie Pearson, a former practicing OBGYN, started Pearson Rabbits after her own battle with a disability insurance company following a career-ending injury that she sustained on the job. She has dedicated her life to making sure other healthcare providers do not have to suffer through the same legal battle that she went through. Zach and I both receive our own occupation disability insurance policy through Pearson Rabbits, and we would not be endorsing the company on our podcast if we didn't personally believe and support their mission. So now that you're all caught up, 
I have some exciting news. Stephanie Pearson is putting on a live webinar titled Disability 101 for Residents. This is a live event scheduled for Tuesday, May 2nd at 7 p.m. And this is also free to attend, and we will post the Zoom registration link in the show notes below. Even if you are not certain about purchasing disability insurance yet, the information shared in this webinar will be invaluable. If you've got plans and can't make it for the live event, be sure to check out Pearson Rabbits at www.pearsonrabbits.com. And now, back to our episode. Maddie Watts, good job. How do you think you did? Um, I think I did pretty well. I did things a little out of order because I was... My meningitis alarm bells were going off, so I forgot some vitals and, you know, history taking. But other than that, I think I did I did all the things I needed to do for the patient. And this was kind of a, a ABC's patient rather than a H&P patient. Um, and I, I know this is this is all kind of happening quickly, but take a minute to reflect on the case. Is there anything you can think of that you may have forgotten to do? Oh, gosh. Uh, I'm completely blanking, but I'm sure that there is. <laughs> uh, th- this happened to me oh so many times, and it, it it's just you know when you get presented all this information at once, and you're like, oh, I know what's going on. You deviate from the the structure of the case, and th- this is where they get you, right? Um, so no labs were sent whatsoever on this patient. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Except for CSF. <laughs> except for except for CSF. Correct. Correct. Um, so aside from the lack of labs and then the the history kind of in retrospect and lack of an ACU check up front in the setting of altered mental status. Um, I think you did really good. There was one critical action that you did miss, but let's let's go through them right now. So the five the five critical actions for this case were diagnose meningitis with a lumbar puncture, which you did, treat empirically with empiric antibiotics, and you did. So ceftriaxone, two grams, not one gram, acyclovir, plus or minus vank. Um, in a nineteen year old, I probably wouldn't be starting vank, but. Um, that's me personally. Um, third critical action is resuscitate appropriately for septic shock, which I, I'll give it to you. If we didn't get a weight on the kid, technically by the book, it would be a 30 cc per kilogram fluid bolus because he was hypotensive. But um, I'll give you that two liters will probably cover uh, your average 19 year old male. Um, and then starting vasopressors when the patient was non responsive. The fourth critical action, which you did do was giving steroids for meningitis. And um, I I actually was going to give you two outs for the steroids. You you got it right away for the meningitis, but um, we'll come back to this in a second. And then the fifth critical action, which was missed, which you had the time to do, but this stuff always slips our mind, is the father. The father needs prophylaxis for meningitis. He took care of this kid very closely for the last 72 hours. So oh, he needs. Oh, yeah. I forgot completely about that. 
Yeah, he, he needs some prophylaxis. And now looking into it, I, I was always taught rifampin, but it looks like rifampin is only really indicated nowadays for young children. And the recommendation is Cipro, a single dose of ciprofloxacin, 500 milligrams for an adult. And um, you're going to be giving anyone prophylaxis who has spent time in close quarters with the patient for prolonged times, or if you're dealing with their secretions and their airway. So you taking care of this patient regularly, you would not need prophylaxis. But if you intubated this patient, you probably would. And any family or friends who have been close by with prolonged contact, such as the dad, would. Um, And is that only for suspected meningococcal meningitis? Or I guess most of the time you don't know up front, so you just would treat everybody... When you suspect bacterial meningitis, you typically up. That's when you you give prophylaxis. Um, okay. you're, you're right. You're not going to know if it's meningio meningiococcemia or if it's strep pneumo or what the heck you're dealing with. Um, and the, the, kind of going back to the the fourth critical action, which um, again you, you hit this immediately giving steroids for meningitis but um the rash that this patient had do you, do you know what this rash is called or what the significance of this rash is so it's a petechial rash which means that they are having poor clotting factors um but i actually i can't remember why steroids are indicated i just know they're indicated <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah. So steroids are indicated in meningitis empirically just because it reduces death and other neurologic complications. I think the number needed to treat for reducing mortality was 11, and for reducing deafness as a neurologic sequela was about 23. Which is insane, right? There's not a lot of therapies that do that. Um, So steroids, regardless, are indicated. But the rash itself, you're right, it's a petechial purpuric rash indicative of uh, a coagulopathy going on. And specifically, it's DIC. Um, The rash itself is called purpura fulminans. And it's, it's, I didn't know this before doing this case, but it's a sequela of DIC. And... DIC is actually pretty common with meningiococcemia. It's why this this rash is associated with meningiococcemia. And there is one textbook complication of your patient that comes in with meningiococcemia with this rash that was all over step one that I'm sure you're you forgot about, I forgot about, but it, it's classic board material. Do you do you know what complication this is associated with this rash? Oh gosh. Um I don't know, but now I'm thinking about the fact that I stuck a needle in this guy's back while he's coagulopathic, so I'm worried about something like an epidural hematoma. Uh, No, I I probably still would have done the LP, but um, the thing I'm looking for, it's Waterhouse-Friedrichsen syndrome. Do you remember learning about that? Oh my gosh, that tickles some part of my brain, but I do not remember what it is. Yeah, so it's it's acute adrenal hemorrhage in the setting of meningiococcemia. Usually, it's due to DIC, Uh, but the the most yeah yeah the most common uh, etiology of Waterhouse Friedrichsen is meningiococcemia, and that's that's like a classic step one board association. So 
um, this, if, if you didn't give steroids, this kid was not going to get better um, for him being in acute adrenal crisis. And you would have noticed that on his labs because he would have been hyponatremic. He would have been hyperkalemic. He would have been hypoglycemic. He would have had all the markers and then he'd be hypotensive, not responsive depressors. But you did give steroids to for the meningitis, which also kind of covers your bases here. So without knowing it, you you fix his adrenal crisis as well, <laughs> which is great. Lucky for me, because I would have had no labs and would have just been adding pressers, more pressers. <laughs> is ICU down here yet, please? <laughs> yeah, this was a pretty deeply involved case. I think you did good with the medical management of the patient in front of you, but I think you lost your form a little bit, forgetting the labs, forgetting the history, etc., and that will bite you in the butt. Now, only missing one critical action, I don't expect you to completely fail the case, but in this setting, not getting labs, getting vital signs late, not getting an accu check up front, I do think that you may have failed this case if it was a real oral boards case. But I will say you managed the patient in front of you really well, and good job not forgetting the steroids. Yeah, we've had a couple recent either M&Ms or I've had patients that we were concerned about meningitis, maybe not necessarily bacterial, but thankfully it was somewhat recently on my mind. So that helped. <laughs> but Waterhouse Friedrichsen was not recently on my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's one of those things that are, it's always on the boards, but you know, we, we rarely see in real life, but that's, that's the whole point of the game. It's, it's practice for the boards, right? Yep. Um, the, the other thing that I will go into, and I'll go into it a little more on the deep dive, um, just talking about this case, but the choice of steroids in adrenal crisis, um, the, the textbook answer is always going to be give hydrocortisone, um, because it not only has glucocorticoid activity, but it has mineralocorticoid activity. Um, now if you give decadron or dexamethasone is the, the generic that has glucocorticoid activity, but not mineralocorticoid activity. So what that's going to do for you is it's usually going to fix the blood sugar and it's going to fix the blood pressure, but it's not going to fix the hyponatremia, the hyperkalemia, et cetera. Um, the, the benefit of actually giving dexamethasone when you don't know that they're in acute adrenal crisis, you just suspect it, is it's not going to mess up the further testing down the line to prove they're in adrenal crisis. So it, specifically, it's not going to mess up the ACTH stim test, which I, this is kind of medicine stuff. You know, clinically, if you're ever concerned about acute adrenal crisis, you can just throw 125 hydrocord at them um, just to cover your bases. But... And in the real world, um, giving hydrocortisone is going to mess up further diagnostic testing. So if they don't have something like Addison's disease already diagnosed, there is some benefit to just giving a glucocorticoid like uh, dexamethasone. But again, if you're you're ever clinically in a situation where you suspect it, you'll never be wrong with hydrocortisone. Okay, that's really helpful to know. Um. Well, I think that's all I have for the case. Do you have any other questions about the case? No, I don't think so. That was a good one. No. Um, other than that, how how are things going? Have, wait, let me ask you. Have you have you done a lumbar puncture yet? Yeah, I actually have done a decent amount. I, I feel like various people have various different procedures that are the ones that they 
get a lot of for whatever reason, and mine is lumbar punctures. I feel like I get all the <laughs> neuro patients. I get more lumbar punctures than anybody else, and I don't know why. That's just what has become my thing, but I have gotten to do quite a few so far in residency. That's good. It's one of those procedures that if you don't nail down during residency, it's going to be a nightmare as an attending. Because if if you're not good at lumbar punctures, like you're not going to want to do them as an attending, even when they're indicated. And you're you're going to find ways to to talk yourself out of doing lumbar punctures. I remember I missed like my first five lumbar punctures as a resident. And then I got my first one and it just clicked. And I I literally went on a streak of like 15 without missing one since that first one. Like it, it just clicks and I've missed a couple since I'm not perfect, but um, really getting comfortable with lumbar punctures as a resident, I think are really important. Yeah. Oh, they used to be the bane of my existence because I feel like I also missed like my first five and then I would like get one and then miss one and I would be like, I thought I had it. But now that I've had this be my weird thing that I always seem to get, I've finally gotten into groove. And like you said, now I feel comfortable with them and I'm not going to shy away from them. But they are such a frustrating procedure. But also when you get it, it's like the most satisfying. Like even still, now that I've gotten several, I get like so satisfied when I get a (laughs) good lumbar puncture. Have you had a champagne tap yet? Oh, I have. I had one the other week. Oh my gosh. I was proud of myself. As an intern. Woo. (laughs) Maddie Watts. Dang. (laughs) Was very. Awesome. It was also like a, I stayed after shift. I was there way too late because I didn't want to hand it off, and I got a champagne tap, and I was like, I really needed that. Like I needed that. <laughs> ha- hashtag worth it. Hashtag yeah. <laughs> worth it. <laughs> That's awesome. I hope somebody bought you a bottle of champagne. Not yet. I need to go back to that attending because like we like left, and then the results came back later. I need to go back and be like, hey, you owe me. <laughs> definitely one of the unwritten rules in emergency medicine right yes absolutely okay well i think that's all i have do you have anything else you want to add maddie i don't think so do you want to tell the listeners how attending life is going for you so far uh (laughs) attending life is attending life it's it's honestly so much better than being a resident um, people, I, I, there's a stereotype out there, not a stereotype, I, I guess a saying that the, the first year of attending hood is worse than any of the years in residency and you're going to learn more. I, yeah, I, that's what I've heard. I agree with the learning more. I've, I've learned a ton, um, but I, I think it's so much better than being a, a resident. You know, I don't <laughs> have to run my plans by anyone. I, I kind of do what I want, you know, um, I manage patients how I want. There's no like subconscious game of, oh, what attending am I working with today? Oh, I'm going to have to be super conservative or, oh, I'm going to have to be super, you know, like discharge everyone. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like none of that plays a role. And I, I, I think that was a big point of angst for me as a resident is playing the game of, you know, what's attending am I working with and how, how am I going to have to tailor my workups? But, um, as an attending, you don't have to do that. And it's great. Um, so I, I think it's going fantastic. And I'm sure you will love it um, when you get there in these two short years, right? Yeah. Wow. Lo- it's so crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it literally feels like we just started recording like a month ago and you were still a baby intern, but you're about to be a senior. Oh my God, Maddie. I know. 
they, they're already starting to have us do some of the radio calls and trauma clearances. And they're like, yep, you're, you only got a month, two months left until, um, second year. So it's wild. Yeah. It sneaks up on you, but, um, Anyways, thanks for tuning in, our listeners. Send us emails. My email is mike at emclerkship.com. And my email is maddie at emclerkship.com. And feel free to send comments, feedback, case ideas, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you know the deal. And until next month, keep working hard, keep studying, and be sure to enjoy your shift.